another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters who've been doing this for <laughs> way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by Tony. There's something unpredictable, but in the end it's right. I hope you had the time of your life. <laughs> the official theme song from DM Dave, the rock and roll DM. That's it. That's it. Every t- that's, that's the one. That's, that's... Typecasting himself as Bard forever. Yeah. <laughs> he does play a good Bard, I gotta say. He plays an excellent Bard. Roderick Elf Bard. Thank you. Any hey, is... character that I can do a soft English accent for, I can hammer home. Anything oh, yeah, outside of that is it gets a little tough. <laughs> That's inside your batter box for sure. And that song is a nice segue because that is sort of the the theme song, like the official theme song for the end of the campaign. All these things go, we play for years, but sometimes eventually you've got to wrap up the great campaign you've had going on where your players have leveled up to level 15, 16, 20, and the older editions maybe higher, maybe even this edition. And how do you wrap that up? More, how do you how do you approach play? When you get to those higher levels, how do you engage? How do you put together fun, high level campaigns? And then when they come to their natural end, how do you wrap them up? So the players can really feel like they were part of something special and everyone walks away and enjoyed it. And they're happy to get back together and start a new campaign or maybe bring these guys back for uh, for an all-star game. I and that's will what... just throw in there real quick. I mean, the song is called Good Riddance. That's all I'm going to say. So maybe some people's wrap up of a campaign is like, yeah, see ya. Don't let the door hit you in the ass. Yeah. I, I think we've I'm not sure. But. We've wrapped up the occasional Good Riddance campaign. I, I definitely think there's been oh, yeah. times. There's definitely been times. It's not even like you don't like you didn't have fun. It's just sometimes you hit like that like level 15, 16. You're like, all right, let's just see the rest of this edition and wrap this up. Yeah, it's done. It's done. It's run its course. So that's what we're here to talk about today. And once again, if you listen to the last episode, you know we left off on a conversation about Shane's email. Shane is one of our listeners who sent us a great email asking us some questions. Last episode, we answered some of his questions about downtime activities. And it took so long, we didn't get to the second half of his email. Email. And in the second half of Shane's email, he asked us questions about high-level play. First of all, you know, how do you handle high-level play? What do you do about things like, you know, uh, naturally occurring random encounters and things like that, that? That do they still fit? How do you make them work? And he Owlbears. asked, how do you wrap it up? What was Albears? Albears, always Albears. I don't yes. care. Level twenty, fuck you. Three hundred Albears. Awakened monk Albear army. There you oh, go. Oh yeah, we did sit, we did end talking about the monk Albert. That is correct. Yeah. With his <laughs> exceptional staff. An army of the quantum ogres. That's no, okay. <laughs> oh, no. oh no. no. There we go. I think we've already had that debate. <laughs> yeah. So we have done a few long campaigns, especially me and Tony. Uh, I've had a couple campaigns that went on many like, multiple years where we got to level 20 or above and wrapped up. We've talked about how I've had things like breeding Tarask in my campaign. So that's a high level we're talking about here. Tony, uh, I've been in some of your high level campaigns, things that got up to, to level to level 20. Or sometimes I was pulled in to all-star games. So, you know, we've all done some of this. I think Dave, well, maybe not so much Dave. Nope, nope. I have run long campaigns. I have not gone up to the super high levels. Um, and most of the campaigns have not lasted necessarily long enough that you got up to that point. And I think that's what a lot of people run into. And one of the points I was going to make too is a lot of times campaigns don't, you know, gaming groups, they they last, you know, nine months, a year, you know. Some of them stick together forever, years and years, like we're talking about right here. 
a lot of times they don't. So, you know, in the end, uh, you uh, good riddance. That's <laughs> yeah, at the time you're like, that's it. I, I will say, you know, it takes a special kind of stubborn to really get a campaign to level 20 and beyond. Like you guys really got to hang in there. You really got to be like, no, no, I'm sorry, honey. I'm going to game tonight. I can't miss this. It's an important aspect of my life. Unless you're using milestones and your hot dog has all the proper uh, condiments and then you're just (laughs) on that train to the next level. You know, that's probably what got me because I bet you if I had run it in a more of a milestone fashion with, and if I understood more when I was running my Pathfinder campaign, I probably could have because we were actually playing for a good year and a half. But, you know, it was adult gaming. So once a month, once every six weeks kind of thing. Uh, but I probably could have gotten it up there, but I didn't realize how to do that because I had a set idea, as as mm-hmm. we've talked about before, a set idea as to where the campaign uh, needs to be at certain points, you know, and certain yeah. levels and whatnot. I will say the Woodstock Wanderers using uh, XP leveling at the rate at which we've been playing encounters has leveled slower than I expected. There's probably a way I could have run this where we would already be at the high levels for that game. That game's been going on for oh, more God. than a year. I mean, I've been going on for. I think we're going near two. Yeah. That we have to be. Oh, you have to be. And, and these guys are only, and, and we're only 10th level in that game, I think. Maybe even ninth level. So, I mean, the the, the leveling slowed down. Uh, yeah. And the leveling slowed down a little bit there. And also, I mean, COVID put a big, you know, hole in the center of it for a little while there. There was, there was several months where we weren't playing as we got used to, you know, playing from home and getting on roll 20 and those things. So, you know, to start this conversation, let's, I guess, maybe try to kind of call get all on the same page with what exactly is a high level campaign. So when do you start to consider a campaign high level? I think that really depends on the system. If you were in 4E, the epic tier, I believe started at 20. Uh, now we're floating. I believe the general consensus for 5E is what, 14? That's where they're 15, really... I think. Well, 4E had three tiers and it did end at 20. It didn't go beyond 20. I think. No, it ended at 30. uh, You had your, that was your Paragon tier ended at 20. And then the Epic tier, because Cassidus made it to level 30 in that system. And when I was rolling in two, one and two E, oh, all bets are off. I had characters running around well over 20th level. And that wasn't that unbelievable. And that system was crunchy because I, uh, you got, I awarded most of my XP, dare I say, back in the day from killing monsters. And that's about it. I mean, I was really considered a progressive DM for doing crazy stuff, like <laughs> allowing XP bonuses for role play and completion of quests. That was like, what is this maniac doing? You get XP strictly for murdering creatures, and that's it. That Unless you're a thief and you're stealing things. And then you get XP for that too. But that's it. Or your uh, class bonus, but I digress. Well, I- I do remember when I DM'd second edition, I gave out XP for treasure and I gave XP bonuses for each class. And some classes got like bonus for the, for the treasure collected. And then some classes got like bonus for the, for the hit die of creature destroyed. And I gave out, of course, experience for the, for, for the creatures destroyed too, but it would be like kind of a, it would be multiple pieces that drove their, their leveling. Whereas now it's in fifth edition, it is more, well, hey, you just get it from the encounters or from random awards or we milestone level. I think we've all talked about it. we do kind of like I, I do like milestone leveling. Um, yeah. And you're right, Tony. Fourth edition did go to level 30. You're right. You got the Paragon Path at level 20 and the Epic Destiny at level 30. So that was a much more like that was a broader spread than I think they gave almost anything else. Uh, I think they because of the bounded accuracy 
that that does really work within 20 and classic D&D really even if you like looked in the legend and lore books the gods themselves even they very rarely went above level 20 of course that was just their avatars if we're getting super nerdy and technical here <laughs> but uh well if we go back to basic D&D and you get to the either the very high level campaigns book the one that had the uh, what was the thing we were talking about a, a few episodes ago what basic D&D immortals rules yeah the immortals that uh, happened no Tony's monster that had like 200 hits around. Oh, the Draden? Jesus Yeah. Christ. Yeah. Now, that book took you, I think, beyond level 20, maybe okay. beyond level 30. Yeah. Let, me, let me qualify that. In basic D&D, you had to, I believe, get between level 30 and 36 as a basic D&D character. And, of course, that disqualified, like, dwarves and elves because, for fuck's sake, they couldn't get above level 12. So screw those guys. No <laughs> godhood for you losers. I think and... some of them were actually level 9. You couldn't go past level 9. I think that's like, right. You know what, Gary? Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Rest of the but fuck, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. No, Tough crackers, Legolas. Yeah. That human fighter, he's going right to the top of the food chain. <laughs> but then afterwards, then you were, they introduced the concept of the immortality test, where you were tested in some way within your alignment by the, some whatever deity that had gained your, you had gained attention of. And then if you had succeeded in that way, they literally brought you in as a acolyte level novice immortal when you left the entire world and began your whole cosmic life. Wouldn't it be cool to go back and do that? I mean, Tony, you've talked about maybe doing a basic D&D. Wouldn't it be cool to start at, like, keep on the Borderlands and just play through all those expansions to the very end? Um, do you have a time machine or the room of time and space from Dragon Ball Z? Because we you can had get, that. We can, get, we can get the, we can find the no, stuff. No, we online. do have the DMs Guild and Drive Through RPG, which has every single. Uh, yes. Also, I mean, even they, just for you uh, new fans out there, they also have a lot of the conversions for 5e out there for a lot of those classic mods um, as well. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of great stuff online, and there, there a lot of the stuff is brought back not by Wantsy but by third party publishers. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's so, a whole uh, there's a whole uh, group that's specifically uh, redoing the the classic modules. So in terms of like what is high level, it depends on the system. Like what do we consider high level in fifth edition? So I guess it's when you hit that third tier, 15, right? When you kind kind of get up above fifth, level fifteen. That sounds yeah, about right to me so. too. Because they kind of go by fives, right? Yeah. Like you go like you know first to fifth, and then like you're what the hero of the realm or something like that, and then you go to tenth. And that, that's kind of where they break out their tiers. And then I think 15th and then in, into 20th. But anything 15 above, because all bets are off at that point. So once you hit high-level play, what are you looking to do? Like, both of the DM and player, like, what makes... When you start thinking, like, level 15 and up gaming, I mean, you don't want to be killing rats. At least mm. not on the prime material play. No, it's well, Thanos, right? It's Thanos or nothing. I'm yeah. going to say something crazy. Before you get to there, you need to set up... Uh, that situation where you can have a level 15 campaign and i'm and when you're in your lower levels you have to do that really organic meaningful in its time kind of stuff like you guys are contracted to go clean out a farm of i don't know hobgoblins you you can't start if you guys start my point is if you start out and morton canaan pulls you aside and he's like i need your help guys when you're like level one level two hold on you want a level one party to go and clear out hobgoblins? Have you looked at their stats? Mm. You kind of red cap these motherfuckers. No, they're not as formidable as the red cap. Regular the red caps. 
okay, we'll roll it back. We'll go- Dude, goblins. If, if I'm Maybe playing your cool. hobgoblins, your party's gonna have a problem. <laughs> oh, we're dead. Oh God, we're dead. Well, no, in second edition, they only had like one plus one hit dice. But oh, no. okay, in, in, in fifth edition, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking fifth edition. In fifth edition, the hobgoblins are very militant, like martial, and they do things where they interact together. So you, you like, like they have bonuses when they're next to each I other. I think they're or, CR two or CR three creatures. Yeah, so you don't want to put them up against first level party. Uh, Tony. no, but the the point stands. You have yeah. to do the. Hey, Chuck, go take on the Roman Legion with pointy ears. (laughs) Could be hilarious. Don't worry about that phalanx. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't make them do the fetch quests and, like, clear out the rats out of the cellar. But, you know, they got to go clear out the cave. They got to go clear out the mine. They got to go clear out the farm. They got to do that kind of stuff. They can't Save the farm, save the village, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, they have to start off with their hodgepodge crap-ass armor and equipment and get out there and uh, have a hard fight with some, guy, some you know, CR1 and 2 monsters. So that way, when you, you talked about this previously, Thorne, yeah. you feel like there's points when you played and you're like, shit, I burned through all these monsters. Yeah, I definitely do feel that way. And then that's where you've kind of... You paint yourself in a corner for me, and I love high level. Like, that's really my element, but that's kind of also like the dessert after dinner. <laughs> for me, I mean, this is about high level campaigns. I don't want to go too deep into low level campaigns, but I do find I enjoy that low level a lot. You know, because you get to points where it's like, like we've talked about last episode about about vampire resistances. Pretty quickly, it doesn't matter that your vampire is immune to non-magical damage and misform because everyone's got magical damage. Even at first level, it's like every spellcaster can, can still blow the blow holes in that mist cloud. So I kind of like when immunity still matter and stuff like that. But Tony, you were saying that that kind of sets the sets the scene for your high level gaming. How so? Like, how do you organically turn that into that high level? rewarding high-level epic game. Because when you hit that pocket, that point in your story, and your characters are saving cities, or they're going to broker an alliance between cities, or they're involved in a war, and there's this other entity from another dimension that wants to destroy the kingdom, there it, it actually it makes it feel, dare I say, more believable, like, opposed to where it's like, well, yeah... Well, there's these demons, and you know what they did? We hired these bums who are level three, and they got to stop these demons. And it's like, what the hell are you assholes doing? <laughs> like all these guards <laughs> well, in this giant city. Actually, Tony, if I could like, if I could bolt up on that, just because I it, it reminds me. So we, uh, Bonnie and I, we just watched the newest, uh, uh, the reboot of the miniseries The Stand. Stephen King's The Stand that they redid sure. with uh, Alex Skarsgård and Whoopi Goldberg and stuff. It was really good, right? A lot of it was like an all-star cast. It was it was cool. It was nine episodes. They tell the story, cool, whatever. They even Stephen King came back and wrote the the finale just as a whole new thing, whatever, cool. But as we're watching it, I was like, I don't really care about these characters. I don't like they're just chess pieces, just boop, boop, boop. And now they go here and now they go here. And now they fight the devil. They, they fight the, the walking dude. And there you go. You know, spoilers. You know, I mean, so, the, the novel Shannon, was 1978, but. Shannon and I did start that movie, that, that yeah. new series. Yeah. I read the book like, yeah, back when I was a kid. Oh, I'd yeah. seen the other series. Yeah. I like the stand. It's actually one of my favorite books. And I, I did kind of get that vibe watching this new treatment. But, that it sort of felt like kind of like the way they put things together where it was very out of time and kind of moving around. 
it it did sort of feel like in some ways like I wasn't that into their story. But the point I'm making here with it, the reasoning is is what Tony was saying. So when you have that low level play, when you when you're building your 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 campaign to those high levels, the reason that I think the high levels where you could easily do a one shot and everybody make a level 20 character or everybody make a level 17, right? We talked about that the one episode about, oh, hey, you guys want to play Thor and the other Asgardians? Let's do this, right? Roll up some level 20s and we'll have at it. But that's not the same as, let's say, uh, The Walking Dead or something, right? Where you're now watching these characters and you're developing this character over a long period of time. So you are wildly invested so that those 15th, 16th, 17th, 20th level adventures really matter. And they really matter because you were cleaning out the Hobgoblin Forest. You were, you know, you, you... you know, you used to drink at that tavern, whatever it might be. And I think it's very much like that, is that if you don't have that stuff building up to it, um, you don't you're not as invested in that. And I think that's one of the one of the best things about high level stuff that I haven't played a ton of. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely feel like one of the things that I really want to achieve with high level play is the sense among the players that the things they've done so far have built up to this. You know, I, you know, and, and one of the questions I have here is uh, how you guys in, engage in things like, you know, do they get to run cities? Do they get to build armies? Do they get to run a wizard college? Because it, I do like, now I haven't necessarily done those things in some of my games, but I, I like the kind of, you know, build up to what you've done so far has brought you here. So, so the things you have, the kingdom you might be protecting is probably the kingdom you saved earlier or the kingdom that is now your kingdom because of stuff we did in the, like the fourth tier. Um, you know, maybe the demon that you're, that you're crossing, that, that's, that that is the big threat to humanity is only a threat to humanity because of something you did earlier. I like that tie into what we've done so far has built up to bring us here. And there are, you know, some of its consequences, some of its rewards to the actions that you've done so far in that sense of, all right, so this is culminating because it is literally culminating on what we've built on so far. That has to be a, a point where you're still, your, your story, character story arcs are still live. They have to be in this high level campaign. Is it this villain who has been eluding them? Is this the villain that has revealed itself? Um, is that sorcerer finally going to find her lineage? Um, someone bringing their brother back. This is something that they've been at since the beginning. Like basically, like Roderick is going to wrapping up uh, the uh, the points with his storyline and his house and the mystery surrounding that. Like you guys are high level now. Like that's where you started at level one talking about. And now here you are in my game. Uh, we're level 11. We're not yeah. super, we're not high level, but in the context of this module, we're at the, we're well beyond the back nine. This is a mm-hmm. golf course. We're like, uh, you know, on the uh, 17th hole here. Yeah. 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 That's what I've noticed that too. Just as a real quick aside, that's uh, you really top out with some of the, the modules, some of the adventures they have. Like they say it's like one to 10 and you're like, yeah, no, it's like one to 13, one to 14. <laughs> like by the time you're finished out with it, cause you're just, you're getting, you're leveling so much. And that's yeah. good. I mean, you know, if they want to, you want to add some more details in there, side quest, spend a little longer in there. Like really in the poor Dave, we're going to be like looking under rocks in his adventure. Oh uh, no, that's actually a good point. Uh, and I think it kind of fits into what you were saying earlier too, Tony, in that, in 
all the campaigns that I'm currently running and were running prior to COVID, so like Slavers Bay, we've talked about before, Strahd, we're talking about now, I am always setting up the infrastructure for the next tier, for the next big thing. Uh, in Slavers Bay, for instance, right in the very beginning, there was already level 20 stuff that was there. Now, if it turned out that way by the time of level 20, who knows, right? But the, I'm, I'm setting that infrastructure up, you know, constantly, constantly. A long game. The next, there you go. The next point that if they want to take it, if the players want to take it here, that's awesome. We have some sort of skeleton to start to play in and then start to fill out, you know, with all the muscle and sinew. I very much have taken that same position with Storm King's Thunder. I don't know how far we're going to have the opportunity to take those characters. So I've kind of got but some points where, like, you know, we could stop the bus and people can get off. Maybe some other people can get on. Something to that effect. Like, this would be, like, Storm King's Thunder 2. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I certainly... It left me with... Um, an alternate ending where I could expand the adventure vastly beyond where the module, re- the module really ends. I believe at like level 10 or 11. Where are we are now? I mean, yeah, we're, uh-huh. you're, yeah. you're really at the end, which you're makes sense. I mean, we are heading towards the maelstrom. I mean, we're heading to the storm giants. So we've gone through all the clans. So you know, when you're doing, when, when you're, when you're building into this higher level stuff, do you, do you keep the players sort of where they have been? So I know sometimes when I'm running the game, you know, the players, they're getting access to new abilities, but they're still fundamentally the same thing. They're adventurers. They spend their time adventuring. It's just what they're adventuring against and what they're fighting against is going up in level. They're going up in level. The stakes are getting higher, but fundamentally the players' adventures are still yeah. go out, yeah. get in a dungeon, even if that dungeon is outer space, and you keep kind of going. Do you guys... There's other things you can do at higher Absolutely. levels, like, you know, giving them kingdoms to run, Absolutely. giving them armies to raise, giving them, you know, wizarding schools to run. Do you guys ever get into that kind of, like, kind of the old name level stuff, right? Like, in yeah. first, second edition, you had nine. Yeah. yeah. Or what uh, or Colville's doing with the uh, uh, strongholds and followers and stuff like that. Yeah, I would love to do that. I have tried to set some of that stuff up in previous games that didn't really stick. I have ideas with, uh, for instance, the Strahd group, I have some very specific ideas as to fun stuff that could really become interesting. I, I, I obviously I'm not gonna, you guys are in the game, right? So I don't wanna say too much, but you know, there's definitely infrastructure because I would love that you you build your wizard's tower, right? Or you, you have your headquarters like we got in the Marvel game or whatever. I think that that stuff is, is really cool. It's really cool. This was an old topic I debated actually in one of the vampire campaigns I played with back in the day. And this, this, this that is all surrounds the topic of power. And if you're in a world where having a stronghold full of mercenaries truly gives you more power, then that's fantastic. Then that's a valuable thing that you could leverage. What does that look like? You walk into a room and there's five guys with swords and You know, you could maybe take them down because you're a better swordsman, but they could hurt you. If you dick around, you could get taken down. Maybe they'll pull a trick and poison you. It's not as cut and dry as I walk into a room. There's five swordsmen there. And I have, like, Hawk's like, hey, brother, I ripped my shirt off. I've got 113 hit points that take half damage to everything. These guys don't stand a prayer. (laughs) That won't work. In that situation, that would be absolute garbage. Hawk would be like, great, I have a bunch of um, guys to, like, 
hold my wrestling trunks. Like, like, what would I need these people for? To guard places? Anybody tough would go in there and just kick their ass. I mean, honestly, they're, they're just... Well, those are sort of the two dueling opinions on this, aren't they? On the one hand, it seems cool in theory. On the other hand, in practice, it's like, well, what use do I have for these, for a henchman and some other, like, low-level cronies who are just going to get killed by the dragon's fire anyway? I mean, they're your horses in Skyrim, right? It's like, uh-oh, there's a dragon, and my horse is dead. It's the best kinda, horse in the game, it's dead. Yeah, it kind of goes between, are you just the vagrant that goes and kills stuff and takes things? Or, murder hobo. Right, right, in a way, right? Which you all are at some point, right? Because you're adventurers, right? But at some point, the adventuring leads to something, right? Like, even Conan, who was the most vagrant motherfucker out there, right? Mm-hmm. He still was looking for his kingdom and his queen, right? And he finally got it, even though they will not let us see it. King as Conan. King Conan. Even though Schwarzenegger has been fighting for it for the last 20 years, but they won't let us see it. But uh, um, the destroyer got one star. That kicked that idea. But you know what I'm saying? Like it's it. it, Those are the two opinions. I think those are the two sides. Are you playing the game because you just want to like the the tool, the toy chest, like we talk about, or do you want to build something even bigger, like a world that then starts to be affected by what you built in it? If we were playing in Thorn's Call of Cthulhu world, and our characters like put together. Uh, a, str- a compound with mercenaries in there, that would be badass. We'd be extremely formidable then. That would be a big deal because someone would try to come in or a monster would come in and you'd have like a whole mess of people with guns and flamethrowers and stuff. They wouldn't be as tough as us, but they'd, they'd be super valuable in the situation opposed to essentially being a level one or two guard and we're level 11. And we're right. like, hey, what do you got so, there, Junior? Nine hit points? At this point, DM, the Game Master Thorin would like to apologize for what he has made of the Call of Cthulhu, Cthulhu universe so far. <laughs> it's supposed to be a universe where the guns don't save you. <laughs> we run into yeah, the deep one. Not, we're going to get into it. We, we, don't I'm worry. I'll scare you, these guys I'm with, with time. You. I'm, not, time. <laughs> I'm not on uh, Tony's train with the Call of Cthulhu thing. But I will say, Tony, this is kind of falls down to... Mm. This is your Professor Tolkien stuff, man, because the King of Gondor is a level 20 fighter or ranger or whatever the hell you want to make Aragorn, right? Gotta say it's a ranger for five hundred. He's probably a multi-class, tell you the truth. But regardless, he's the level 20 guy, right? And Gandalf's running around somewhere, and you got a couple other people that are higher level. Um, And then who else do you have in Gondor? You have a lot of you know, CR5, CR3, CR1, CR1 quarter, commoners, knights, mm-hmm. uh, king's guard, right? Captains. But also. you're also the king of Gondor, and Gondor then helps to control, like, that section of Middle-earth that, you know what I mean? Like, and it's, what do you want to play with? Do you want to play with just the toys that your character sheet has, or do you want to start to play with the world, which is what I think Thorne's kind of getting at? Well, it's the question, and it's it is a really fundamental question because coming in, and even from lower editions, it seemed like giving the players the chance to become kings and queens and lords and stuff like that themselves should be really cool. Like that used to be part of your leveling up, is you yeah. got a stronghold or you got a follower, you, you know. And over time, we've moved away from this, and I got to say, I think it's because a lot of players don't enjoy it. 
like it looks neat on paper, but when you actually come down to it, it's like, well, all this stuff either isn't high enough level to help me, or it's just something, to, it's just another thing for, for, for the bad guys to attack, right? Like, okay, yeah, you're the lord of a castle, but now guess what? You got to defend that castle from your dragon <laughs> that shows up that. For, your, for your goal. Here it becomes the like court Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, which was a great game. <laughs> but for a little while, the problem was once you started to build like your turf, every time someone came and graffitied on your turf, you had to come kill them. It's you like know? playing those damn the Clash game. of Clans games, and you're like building your, your town, and you're, oh, this is so cool. And then the horde comes in and just axes you because it's some level 99 douche from Brigham. Yeah. Who, who put 700 hours into the game yeah who dropped like a thousand dollars in a fucking game right but i have to tell oh, you yeah. i have had players who 100 percent would not be into that they'd be like why do i want this responsibility i don't be stuck here but that's the point i think and that's the know your table stuff right true i mean even doctor who they tried to make him you know president of gallifrey and he's like hold my beer i'll be right back and he jumped in the tardis and jumped <laughs> <saw him again. laughs> yeah, this, this might very well just be generational it might be that gen x and a lot of our players have been gen x and we you know, were gen x gen x doesn't like responsibility <laughs> gen, gen x is like no 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 fuck off with your responsibility i want to go back right. out in the dungeon <laughs> yeah, well, hey, let me quantify that. So, okay, there was that one meme, like, why do we like playing D&D? Because it lets us see our friends, not have to go to work, be able to eat decent food, get proper sleep, like crazy stuff like that. Well, you want to play it, in your fantasy realm, and, uh, you know, you, you want to be able to, to have some high adventure there. It's like, okay, what's the ledgers looking like in the keep there? Are we, like, you know, David was talking about his tax man encounter. The tax man? I'm not dealing right. with the tax man. Throw that asshole over the wall. You can kill the IRS guard. No one's going to stop you. Uh, although that meme, that meme was actually more of a millennial meme because it's more about you can afford a house, uh, well, which, which had been a problem here. So just to just to kind of I, I, just to put a, a, a nice kind of touch on this whole point, I think this is exactly Thorne. You said it. The original uh, iterations of the game came from this, and what you see that came forward in the game was that because yeah. all of the all of the world building, all of the characters, all of the people like Tasha and Morden Kane and, and Volo and Xanathar were all these things that came from like Gary's home games and stuff, right? And they were building this world out. So like, for instance, um, let's say Roderick became the, he was able to to uh, defeat his curse, right? And he was able to reinstitute Drago Manor in Neverwinter Wood, like really like be, make it not a dying nobility anymore, but a nobility. What would be kind of cool with that is not that I just get to just keep playing Roderick, but Roderick is there. He's always there and other adventurers then get to interact with him because now he's a part of the world. He's not just mine. Now he's all of the, the forgotten of the world. Like Nork right? is now so, the god of magic. It, right. It, it, other, yeah. other characters then, I get to roll up a different character and then he might go and have to interact with, with Roderick or with Nort or with whoever, you know? And like that kind of stuff, I think, if, if it's spun that way, it takes away some of the, oh, my God, I have to, like, 
look at the ledgers of this thing and what's my what should I tax my grain at? You know, and all of a sudden it's Sim City. A three percent right? tax that goes too far, my lord. Well, like, I say it doesn't go far enough, my like, lord. <laughs> I played Sim City like for about two hours and I was like, fuck this. Like every time I raised taxes, everybody was yelling at me. I dropped taxes, the water mains explode. This place sucks, you know. <laughs> But you know what? You do have a choice of how you do it because you can make them kings and queens and whatnot at the retirement stage. And then you kind of have the best of both of both worlds, right? They didn't have to manage anything as a player, but they got the rewards as they as they ride off into the sunset, which is kind of part of the you know, one of the change questions here about, you know, how do you wrap up a high level campaign? You know, how do you bring it to that kind of conclusion? That is something you want to do is you want to kind of have that sense of your characters are running off into the sunset. Indeed. Yeah, you need to, if your character had an internal log, you'd have to see what their goals are and are these goals met. And we talk about how we're going to reward these characters higher level. Yeah, I completely agree. Making someone a straight up king or queen is you, you're really setting That's yourself you up for a lot of work. It, like, it's all in the execution, right? It's how do you as a DM present being a king as a fun play experience that still feels different from what they normally do. I mean, my first character, I mean, yeah, like my first character who was a king uh, basically was like, yeah, I'm the king. All right, I'm leaving. Bye. And that was him being king. <laughs> uh, but he, Number, so much he was very him. Robert Baratheon in his kingness. <laughs> oh, that Number character was. You need. A yeah. Uh, could you run this? I'm going to go kill a boar and fuck some woman. So. <laughs> the most important part of being a king is having a good hand of the king to be exactly, the king. Yeah. <laughs> so i mean if you're giving a treasure reward at that point is it that sword they've been looking for for the last 15 levels uh is it that artifact the party has been looking for because everything else at that point is just like nothing annoys me more like personal gripes at the end like i get custom magical light and i throw it out there i'm like okay here's a here's a magical shield that does this and that and they're like okay that's great throw it in the bag groan like my soul dies a little bit like it's in the bag well ugh. like you're gonna go sell it to the wizard and the wizard's like no i don't want it <laughs> you're stuck with this dog sorry but all, all these things have to have that meaning you're you're wrapping up these character points and you need to continue to build up to finding those items that you've been searching for or have wanted or finishing those plot points that you've been trying to do and that leads you to your closure, that riding off into the sunset. And I kind of like Thorne's approach where it's like either you have to sell it very well, have the right party for it, as Dave was also saying, or just like, hey, and you're the king or the queen. And that's fantastic. Hurrah. Run credits. <laughs> so I have done one of the high level games I played, the one that had um, Alhazard in it, Tony. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the players, Jared's player, Jared's character was a king. And, and before the end of the game, because he had had a whole plot line where his father had disowned him because he was a werewolf, and he actually went and he killed his father and became king in his stead. A little bit Conan-y. Or... Sure, he killed him. Continue. Go ahead. <laughs> are, you saying, are, are, you, are you saying the magic assistance was very important there? He, that character had a lot of iron in his diet by the end of that fight, but go ahead. <laughs> um, so we did it there, and what did I do? When, when, I, when I made him king... I didn't make him worry too much about running the kingdom. And I think he specifically said, okay, I get these guys, tell him, you go run this, you go run that, and I'm out. But I did attack the kingdom many times. Like, it gave me a target to aim for with all the, with all the bad guys. And that was one of the ways I did I don't think he ever took uh, Jerkin 
I don't think he ever took the throne entirely. He was a prince of the realm, and he was a werewolf, and really didn't give a rat's ass about any of that, as I recall. And I believe my wizard was the king for a while. I got the other players to go along with it. And then he got too cosmic to be king. He was like floating around the universe. And I came back and your character was running the kingdom. And I'm like, great, you continue to do that. That's right. I brought I, I brought Thor in from the other, from your game. My yes. other, my, my PC. Yes, and he became king. And I'm like, that actually works out for me. So go ahead, continue that. <laughs> So I guess maybe that's one of the things. If you decide to offer your players a kingship, it's a good idea to have an NPC in the background who can assume the duties of kingship because your players are liable to say, eh, and walk away. The regent. You need the regent. <laughs> it's like, look, I'm running this stuff in his stead, and all right, you go ahead. The world's not going to fall apart because you didn't decide to settle down and become a king today. You can go keep having your fun and adventuring because, at least in our games, most of the players have not been interested in being king. It, it, there's a lot. It changes the entire dynamic. When you're on the road, you're like, all right, let's get on a boat. Let's see what's beyond the sea. Let's uh, go to this dimension. Uh, let's, I mean, I mean, my games are traveling in time. You have all this stuff, and God knows you're on my railroad, and you can't escape anyway. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, opposed to, I roll out of bed. What's for breakfast, my lord? Oh, Jesus Christ, I'm still stuck in this. Well, <laughs> what, if we, what if we took it, so what if we took it from the vantage point, like let's say like the Marvel game, for instance, or the Marvel Universe, you know, somebody like Doctor Strange, right? At the Sanctum Sanctorum. He's got all his stuff going on in multiple dimensions. He's protecting, he's Earth Sorcerer Supreme. He's got... You know, Dormammu's always trying to come in and get knocking. You know, Mephisto's knocking all the time. But also, the Avengers just showed up, and they need his help as well, you know. And then on the other side, the, the Avengers, they have Avengers Mansion, which is always under— I mean, it was under attack every other issue, right? But one issue— tower. Yeah, one issue, The this is back when it was just, like, the mansion and, you know, the old man Jarvis— some dude literally knocked on the front door and then just started attacking them, like, you know. But what are my plans? But in that way, right? Like you have, or or the Fantastic Four, the Baxter Building, right? Like they have these these locales, they have these bases of operation, they have these other lives that that are intertwined within the world. But that makes them a part of the fabric of that universe. They're not just these wandering heroes. They're part of the fabric of the MCU, you know? But what you're describing there is kind of, is the difference between giving uh, the party a base of operations that gives them a vested interest in a location versus right. you're stuck running this whole shit show. Because I think that's an entirely different – like mm -hmm. when we got our base floating over Mars in the Marvel game, they're like, that's awesome, yes! And if they're like, hey, you have to govern this planet, we'd be like, what? Like <laughs> – and the other thing is, I mean, have you ever seen characters enjoy having their base attacked? Because players don't enjoy it either. Like, if, <laughs> if you have someone show up at the front door and just start kicking and just start kicking ass, and the players have to come away from whatever adventure they were on and fix it, they're not going to appreciate that either. Like, once that works. But if you have, if you do it more than once, like... Well, yeah, it, but that's it not a... It's not something you have to do, but it's just... It, it does allow for additional adventure 
to be had, though, too. It does allow for pop points in the same way anything else does. I mean, like, if Doctor Doom rolled up to our Mars base and he came as, I am Doom, you know, okay, we'd have to deal with him, of course. Uh, but I think we can what, take... I think, I think so, yeah. Uh, with this party, he'd be a deep shit. But yeah. <laughs> all joking aside, what we probably have to guard against is low-level space pirates or something to that effect. So we'd have to spend money and time to building up our defenses, maybe having some robot guards, maybe hiring some people to stand watch on there, that kind of stuff. So they couldn't handle the really heavy lifting. But these guys would have value to us in that respect of keeping our base, you know, low, you know, B-lister villain free when we come back. So, OK, if that's the kind of where we feel about, you know, do you make them kings and queens and lords and give them responsibilities? Well, probably not very much fun, at least maybe not until the very end when they're retiring. And then that's where they kind of spend their retirement. What does high level campaigning look like? Like, how is it different well, from everything else? Let me post something back to you real fast. So, like, say you're high level and, you know, you use one of your deck wishes. Like, I have phenomenal cosmic power and I hand you a wand. I go, here you go. And this one has great power. And you're like, yes! And it also comes with great responsibility. And you're like, what? Oh, yeah. No, you have to protect the following duchies and dukes and kingdoms and valleys and hills and towns. They're all under your protection. Good luck. Well, do you then accept that one then, right? It, you know, it's the difference between what, what would make a great book and what would make a great fun campaign. <laughs> Because it's a great right. book setup. It's not necessarily a setup your players are going to have fun with. I don't think. Maybe they can. You know, different groups are different. You know, different groups will see that a different way. A lot of my players would not have fun with that, in, in my experience. I, I had a campaign where one of my players was a martial character. This is, this is in two E. So I, he wasn't actually martial. He was a fighter, and he ran across this one NPC that saw potential, and he was trying to train him, and. He, this guy was a really extremely high-level, formidable uh, character in this gaming world. And I'm like, this is really great for him. This will give him something, like a different angle. He can learn new styles. He can learn new weapons, all that stuff. And he's like, why is this guy bothering me? Why is he making me do this work? I'm like, what the shit? He's trying to teach, me, teach you how to double weapon specialize. Like, what are you talking about? But that's not how we saw it. Yeah, yeah, that could definitely be the reaction. Players kind of have their own th their own plans in mind, and sometimes that makes it hard for you to roll out your high-level plans for them. Right. So to come back to that other question, though, so then what should high-level campaigning look like? If it's if if you can't give them a bunch of responsibility, like you know, real high-level you know people have, what can you do? You give them different responsibility, and this is mm. where they're now well. They're like, well, we're these carefree people. We go travel around. Yeah, but the kingdom that you live in or the continent you're on or even larger is about to be placed under siege by X. And if you would like X not to destroy this place where you happen to have your stuff, then you're going to have to deal with this. Your call. Absolutely no pressure. You know, don't <laughs> go to the king and demand an absorbent fee or try to do that, depending on your limit. Knock yourself out. If I was the king and my kingdom was about to literally shit the bed and these guys are like, I can save it, I probably would cough up the, the money. Maybe I'd give them beyond that 5% discount at the store. But they they have, with this epic power, they have epic opponents. And I would I like to change scenes a lot. So these battles span in different dimensions, different locations, in the Underdark, in the jungles of Cholt, in the Anorak Desert, up in the glaciers. You know, you make these like these villains on all these different terrains, 
I wouldn't want that to be every episode, every session surrounding this, but that's definitely the overall plot. And they're building up to this confrontation with X, who they're going to stop from destroying where they happen to yeah, park their castle or their wizard's hat or their tower. <laughs> yeah, I think it's based off what we were talking about earlier, which is the tiers of play, right? And in 5e, I just brought it up just so we're, we're, we're certain here. And the four different tiers... Uh, they go levels 1 to 4 as local heroes, level 5 to 10 as the heroes of the realm, and then you get 11 to 16 as masters of the realm, and then 17 to 20 as masters of the world. And I think that tells you everything you need to know in terms of high-level play. You are going to be called to handle the things that everybody who was 15th level and under couldn't do anymore. You know, you're going to be on different planes. You're going to be in different dimensions, like Tony said. You're going to be in the abyss you're going to be in you know you're going to be negotiating the blood war who knows right you're going to be what who knows i i like to think it's kind of like you could take like the dresden files book the harry dresden stuff and kind of look at that as the build up through those tiers and the current like the last one or two books is that high level play because he is a serious contender and he's contending with you know the Feywild and the Never Never and with Odin and with all of these characters all of these massive factions and he's a big player within that so your 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 characters need to be that level of big player too they're rubbing elbows with you know demigods and gods and and celestial and all this kind of stuff you know, they're not fighting, like I said, owlbears anymore. So I'm going to take a minute just to point out that the way D&D has named his tiers, they have totally set up for a high-level supplement called Masters of the Universe. Oh, you stole my joke. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Clearly, we are expecting Level 21 Masters to 25, the you're the Masters of the Universe. Yes. <laughs> Multiverse book. Absolutely coming. Uh, I want to be Stratos. <laughs> so... I do, you know, Dave, like, and what both of you said, you know, it, it is like, there is a difference, there is a different feel when I hit the epic tiers. And we've talked a lot about how at lower levels, I've said a lot, I like basic weapon combat. I like to have Marshall kind of like some regular picking your tools <laughs> and regular fighting kind of stuff, you know? I like, I like at lower levels that it gets fairly mundane. I don't love how super magical some of the stuff already is at lower levels. Right. Part of the reason I feel that way isn't because I hate high fantasy gaming. It's because to me, the high fantasy elements should be coming in later. Like I want to, I might throw dragons in anywhere, but Hey, St. You know, St. George killed a dragon as a basic knight with no magic. You know, that's the kind of thing I, I want to be that doing. Was poorly documented. Ah, true. There's certainly, well, and I, I suppose I say it wrong because there was clearly clerical magic involved in his victory there. He, he definitely used a smite. But, you know, when, you, when I get to the higher levels, it's like not that, you know, I don't want demons showing up in my low-level games. But that's not because I don't want to play with demons. It's just for me, they're in the higher level, you know? Yeah. Bring them out. Then when we've run through the basic stuff, okay, we've gone through our goblins and hobgoblins and owlbears and, and, and our trolls and our and the, we've kind of worked up the, the, the chain and the monster manual until we've hit the big stuff. And then we get de devils and demons and demigods and all these liches and you know the, the the kraken and the things that kind of really 
now you're in the epic level. But I like to work my way up to it because I do think you need a difference, right? Yeah. You need to be, like in, in the Woodstock Wanderers, one of the things I did, and it's been a little bit strange to work with, was I put in this Gadanothwak thing under them that is like a top level 20 monster that in no way it's not even actually probably even higher than that. They probably can't even kill it at level 20. It's a Lovecraftian thing. You probably can't. Does it, it bleed? I can kill it. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> um, and it's got like, it's got an archmage stored around with real it. Real quick, real quick, Tony. Uh, we had like a dream sequence where we met Gadanoth went away yeah. and we were able to each of us ask a question of it. Okay. And I literally asked, do you bleed? <laughs> <laughs> It was pain. The response was painful. That's all I will say. You're absolutely right with that, though. I think that's very important. And it's like the old uh, they even still do it in some of the new adventures. But the old modules, they would have like the old wizard in town. Right. Who's like wildly powerful. It's like, why the fuck isn't this guy taking care of like the cult? And why isn't he? Because he's currently dealing with the demon lord or whatever you know he's got bigger fish to fry so he needs you to come in and handle the rat catching you know or, or he's retired and fuck you he's killed his or he's retired <laughs> he's retired he's killed his rats he's negotiated his blood war pieces he's fought down reincarnated gods you could go handle this problem that's kind of like the heiress character from yes. uh, slaver's bay where he was just real crotchy like yeah what do you want <laughs> <laughs> I feel that in over the course of this campaign, especially particularly at its mini boss points and then its boss points are you need your villains in there that the solution to defeating them can't just be we got to find them and get them regardless yeah. of how powerful yeah. your characters are. There's got to be more to it. Like in Dave's game, uh, you know, could we beat Strahd? Sure. If. He was in a room by himself, and he's like, okay, blah, there's six of you, and there's me. Let's fight. That sounds like a great idea. Then we'd probably whip his ass. Sure, but he's not going to do that. All of a sudden, he turns into an 1890s pugilist. He's like, come on, boys. We're going to really dust it up here. You mean if the vampire decided to fight fair, we could beat him? But we're not even trying to fight him fair. We're trying to, like, completely freaking flash mob him. Fighting <laughs> fair would be like, you know, having Scar or Hawk fight him one-on-one, and then he'd be like, you're charmed. I'm like, well, that was no fun. But we're going um, to put him over a misproof. Bl- we're going to put him under a misproof blanket and just keep stabbing the sun sword into it until he dies. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, and then we'll put him in a hoover. And I'll be... Your paladin went one-on-one with a freaking amber golem so i mean you guys are no joke i was pretty badass it was definitely pretty badass scar is not to be underestimated i was literally just watching that whole battle play out so just we're uh we're in the they're fighting some amber golems and uh the paladin sir scar runs into one totally by accident he was trying to flank out the enemy they were fighting and in essence starts to go toe-to-toe with this uh cr10 um monster so you guys are still level nine mm-hmm. and he took almost one-on-one until hawk came in and, and ended it but yeah i mean that's like that's the level he of his kill about. you Hawk's know that's so that he lost the kill on babala saga yeah exactly exactly so that i mean oh, you get to 15th 17th 20th level you know yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be big time it has to be yeah and i think you know you get there by you can introduce some of those things early on. So, for instance, like I was saying, Woodstock Wanderers, God and Off was there. That's a way out of your league thing. Sure. There's also uh, the Malbion 
is is like an archmage. Tony's kingdom, where the where the what's where the uh, where where Erasmus started, and not Tony's kingdom, but Erasmus, the where Erasmus started, they've got an archmage who's already shown some ninth level magic. Like oh. there are things in this world that are way out of the party's league, and when we hit those epic tiers. The party's going to fight some of them and maybe fight with some of them, you know, depending on how things go. And that's kind of, to me, one of the things that, you know, those big those big bad powers of the universe that were introduced early on, the players had to work around almost as if they were like threats to the environment. Well, as you get epic tears, now you're a force of nature yourself. So now you're engaging with these things and you can fight them. You know, we always go back to one of, one of my favorite examples of it is the, uh, the, the Midgard Serpent in Final Fantasy VII. Where I think it's the name of it. Am I that the no, name? No, it's a giant snake. As you're trying to leave Midgard, but I, I'm following. Yeah, you. yeah. So there's a giant. So you're trying to leave Midgard. You run through a swamp, like in the map view, but you see this shadow of a snake chasing you. And if you stop and investigate that shadow of the snake, you get killed. You fight him. It's just you don't do anything. You get it killed. He takes you to the curb. Yeah, he kills you quickly. And when you when you finally escape that swamp without like by running away from him. Uh, you get to the end and you see that Sephiroth took one of those things and impaled it on a tree. He's the guy you're chasing. The thing that killed you, the big the villain who you, who you fight later on killed it. There's a whole power structure here. Okay, you can see where you are on the food chain and you are at the bottom of it. But later on, you can come back and kill one of those serpents very easily. And exactly. eventually you're fighting Sephiroth, who you could not have dreamed of fighting then. But now you'll be fighting him and you'll just, you know, you're going to go toe to toe with him. So exactly. It's that sense of kind of working up the power scale, working up the epicness to take those things on. Now, one of the challenges with that, and this gets to one of Shane's questions. How do you handle regular encounters for epic level play? How do you handle, you know, running into bandits or running into regular soldiers? Because when you hit that point with the party where the party can kill almost anything by literally looking at it, specifically looking at it if they're a wizard. How, do you still use those things, or what do you do for like random encounters at that point? You handle it intelligently, and this is something that drove me up the wall with Skyrim. Mm. I would come out of the woods wearing my dragon bone armor <laughs> with my lightning flaming great dragon bone sword. Ooh, and the this dragon guy, voice. <laughs> yeah, I just got done boss rodoing a bear into space. And this freaking nerd would come out behind a tree with a rapier in his underwear, and he'd be like, stick him up. Like, that would just never happen. If you are this incredibly epic tier character, you're not going to be beset by bandits. They'll jump out like, aha, they'll look at you and be like, we are so sorry. You have a wonderful day. And then they'll leave. Those are the kind of encounters you have, unless it's meant to be a role-play encounter where you're doing some kind of information mm. or plot drop. In there, yeah. Then that well, well, that's a good reason to take them to another plane, right? Because you yeah. can still have those kind of random encounters if they're in hell. Yeah, I did that in my last my last campaign that you played in. Uh, you defeated one of the more poignant mini bosses in there, and then the entire area collapsed. Guess what? You were in the ninth circle of hell. Uh, I had actually never DM'd the ninth circle of hell before, but that was fun. Well, that's kind of part of the thing, right? And I mean, I love, uh, you guys know, I enjoy uh, travel and I enjoy the random encounters on the roads and all of this kind of stuff, right? I like that kind of stuff. And I like it because the only time you really get to do it is like the first five levels. Because yeah. after that, what what, what what's, what's going to happen? Aside from the, like Tony had the one time, the four fire giants that are meandering through the wood for no reason. Like, what, the, what are you talking First edition, about, right? baby. First edition was yeah, outside of that, like, forgiving. <laughs> because there's a point where characters start to 
game things like plane shift and teleport and this kind of stuff. So they're not going to have to travel these places. So why would they be beset like in, in Skyrim? You're not going to be walking out of the forest necessarily. You're just going to be teleporting to your next destination or plane shifting to sigil or something like that. Um, so it, it changes in that way. I wouldn't do things necessarily like uh, these random encounters. And if they were Thorin, like you said, they would have to be based because they're in a place that's dangerous for them now, where at fifth level, they probably would have died if they set foot there. Yeah. Now they're in there, but it's dangerous to that level of person, you know, I like mean, the, and this is they're part in the of city of brass or something, you know? Yeah, and this is part of what makes epic level play different. You're generally going to give them, your party's not going to be walking through the woods very often. And if they are, they probably have a reputation. And everyone in the in the kingdom knows, even the worst villain in the kingdom knows, I am not fucking with those guys. Yeah. If I fuck with those guys, they're going to kill me or destroy every plot I've ever had. I'm not fucking with them. Whereas you, what you're probably doing more often, though, is you're giving that party an airship. You're giving them the ways to teleport around. So you're avoiding kind of more of your random encounters at the higher levels. And where you get to have them tends to be more in exotic places where the, where, where the local wildlife is tougher. You know, or like you get, so, like, so we have an airship in, in Storm King's Thunder, of course. Well, if you have your high-level, epic-level party running around in an airship, a random encounter becomes something like like an ancient dragon. You know, it becomes something that is, that is one, ab above, out of the norm, and two, high enough level to encounter them, well, and three, makes some sense for where they are. Yeah, I mean, ancient dragon, fine, sure, but, but what if it was a giant spelljammer ship being pulled mm. by four adult white dragons with a deity frost giant? as the captain what if it was would, something like that would never happen like and what is for pinks what let's let let's say the storm king's thunder crew met him at i don't know level seven or something like that what 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 about <laughs> something like that maybe that's a random encounter well what that what would that let me do in all seriousness is you got to meet an npc uh, I used one of Thorne's plays where I just reminded you, your guys are definitely not the coolest guys on the block. <laughs> and then, you're like, well, he has an artifact that you want. Well, how are we going to beat him? We're going to beat him in a race. Oh, but your ship is a bucket. You have this airship, which is cool, but it's a bucket of bolts. Compared we to have grease has. lightning while it's still in the auto shop. <laughs> yeah. So and he, and he's, got a, he's got a 2032 F1 car. <laughs> so he spent the, the last, the next six games gathering enough treasure to go back to the sky mall by Pollywood so they could upgrade the ship and we're upgrading the speed, the maneuverability, the hull, do all this stuff so they could eventually race him and beat him in a race because God knows they didn't want to fight him because he would have destroyed because he was like a CR-20 guy with like his four CR-16 dragons. That would have been in that clusterfuck. Thorns, nah, I was like ricochets <laughs> with my arrow. Yeah, okay, that would have been horrifying. And then, um, but they defeated him, and that set up a medium, short, medium-range goal, and that was fantastic. Because what is the I said this before? What's the point of me throwing all this treasure at you if you have nothing to do with it? Yeah, yeah. We we built the coolest gummy ship in the land. <laughs> yeah, Donald would be like, "That is the <laughs> thumbs up." Yeah, so I think, you know, and, and just to, to round out Shane's question, so what do you do with your kind of average, regular, what you might consider random encounters? It's really when you hit epic level play, they get sidelined. 
they become different. They become relevant. They, they either either the players are in a place that they have thoroughly pacified and knows who they are, and they want and the villains there want no parts of them, or the random encounters, the low level encounters, become things that are relatively threatening because they're somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Or as Dave said, you're in the city of brass and the elemental plane of fire, and you know half a dozen efreets roll up, or you know that's they, a lot that point, they, yeah, yeah, that's a lot different. Or you're in hell and a Baylor or a excuse me a pit feed. I wouldn't defend the demon by saying he'd be in hell. Uh, the pit fiend would stroll up, you know, and that's a thing. He'd be like, hey, passports, please. <laughs> like, oh, let me look for, let me go through my wallet. Excuse me, sir. Then, he, you know, it's an issue. Yeah, exactly. If you're on one of the, you know, the circles of hell, you know, yeah, you're a level 15 character. Good for you. <laughs> you're currently <laughs> surrounded by the infernal. So, you know, yeah, it's that's a lot different. Just being on the road, that's not probably going to matter very much. Because you won't be on the road. Why the hell would you be yeah. walking anymore? My God. Exactly. As you go up in level, you get transportation. Yeah. At least get a cart. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Buy a cart. And oh, those, those, those never get attacked. Real so, tricked out one, though. So then, really, I guess, you know, we've talked about it a little bit, but, you know, what are the principles you're going for when you're really trying to, you know, wrap up this kind of high-level play? How do you really set up a, a final session, your final climax, how do you set it up, pay off, and send the party away feeling like, yeah, we did something awesome? And not like the end of Game of Thrones? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, how, do you, then, how do you not yeah. Weiss and Benny off this? Was that, was that them? Was that Weiss and Benny off? Yeah, yeah, it was. Well, it's better than them all sitting around like the end of... Uh, not uh, of uh, the Sopranos. They're all eating dinner or all eating at the restaurant and it fades to black and everyone's oh, like, come on. what? We all know, we all know that's because the host of the game rage quit because he didn't like whatever happened last episode. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you have to start checking off everybody's goal list. Go down them, give them an opportunity to do their cool moments, have their their closure within their story arcs, save the best for last and tie it all in together nicely have them save the kingdom um have there be as i said in the previous podcast your decisions were meaningful you know you just weren't like stuck in this story that was going from a to b you made decisions they impacted this world hopefully for the better and you've made it a better place and while it's over i'd like to leave it a little open-ended so these characters aren't without the opportunity to ever make a curtain call if they'd like. Like the Sikkim in the Hall of Fame, right? Yeah. They come out and take a bow. Yeah. They come out as NPCs. They can come out for all-star games. They're still there. They're still in the world. They're just, you know, retired from active adventuring. What Thorne and Dave are describing is a a time-honored tradition where at some point, if you had the literal honor of having a character retire then they should be part of that mythos. Why yeah. Why? Why not? They're part of the fabric of the world. That's what I think should be the big... If they don't die, that is... Um, Even if they die, they could be, they could be gods. They, they can, could, yeah. They, they could, could be, be spirits yeah. in the world. They they're, could... they're, they're remembered by the bard songs or whatever it was. But like in terms yeah. of if they're still around, they're still in the fabric of that world. They still are there. They're, they're the king of Gondor. They're at the Sanctum Sanctorum, whatever it might be, you know. Something for your new characters to surpass. Yeah, yeah, and interact with. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, we've done that quite a bit. Like I've, I often pull, like Tony said, like I pulled Thor into the game that where he had Alhazard. That was a game. So Thor was my character in Tony's game and Alhazard was his character in the next game when I DM'd. Uh, I pulled, uh, I pulled Erasmus or I pulled a hazard then into the next game. Tony was in with me. Um, I pulled Nort from the last game I played with Tony into this game. We're playing currently a little bit with the Woodstock wanderers. Like, you know, you kind of have these characters around you can pull in and if they ended up as gods, well, you can bring them back as gods. If they ended up as Kings and Queens or whatever, well, you can have new players visit their kingdoms. So they wound up as, you know, if they went crazy and they wound up as, you know, hermits who don't, who, who shun society, well, maybe they have a great answer that new PCs need and you can bring them back in. So you still have, and players do like seeing their characters brought back for a minute. Absolutely. It is nice. Actually, I remember uh, one of those moments where it was, um, Jer was DMing, not Jer King, the other Jer. Yeah. And uh, we met Beef the Knoll, and the one uh, Heather was playing with us, and she's like, oh, my God, it's like an old friend that I missed. <laughs> I mean, she had never met Beef before, but she was she remembers that character. Heard he, the story. He, uh, yeah, it was nice to see him do a cameo. Because, of course, his party was all dead, so we couldn't have seen him with our characters. And I think that's, you know, this is one of the things that you can do in an RPG that no video game does well enough. I mean, Dragon Age and Mass Effect both tried to build games where the things your characters did like had real impact on the story of the universe. And the choices you made determined things. And it doesn't, it's, it doesn't. They still can't really do that in video games. But in a role-playing game, one of the things that makes it different, one of the things that makes it more fun, is that you can pull in all the things your players have done and actively reshape the world for their actions. And there is no other gaming medium you can do that in. That is where D&D and all the role-playing games excel. So yeah. in the end, when you hit that epic tier, you really want to use that to the max, you know? The deeds of these heroes shape the world. And yeah, I encourage having future games in that world where they know something about the legends of those guys who went before. Well said. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. how do you make that last session impressive, though? How do you really go out with a bang? Well, it is going to be an encapsulated story within the great story itself. So you look at it and go, okay, this has to have its beginning and its end. We're not going to a next episode. Hit your story beats like you would in any single module, but roll out that big chess piece you've been holding on to. You push the big monster on the table, that big opponent. You push that Kraken out there, you know, and I saw a great meme. I don't know if, if you sent it to me. Uh, it's when, you know, the players, uh, it was the guy had a gun to, to the to uh, someone's head and the guy looked overjoyed and it's like the person with the gun was like this is the the player is about to kill the final boss and the, the person this gun to his hand was the dm thinking thank god my final boss didn't completely wipe the players <laughs> <laughs> that really is because you do want that you got to bring out the big guns cthulhu comes out although my game cthulhu came out more than once they fight the Vecna or the or whatever the big things are that are in your campaign world. They have the big climactic encounter. And I would argue, whereas a movie might try to subvert expectations and maybe give you something you don't expect on their, at, the, at the climax of the movie, a D&D game is no time to do that. Your players have been building up to something. They expect something. And I think you want to try to pay off on their expectations. So, so Dave, what would you want to see? In the climax of well, campaign. I will tell you. So uh, at the climax of the Pathfinder campaign that I ran, even though they weren't at the 20th level, you know, they were probably midway through. That's just how it went. 
my final thing was because the whole thing was the rise of the dragon king he was getting these dragons and uh, he had an ability to mature them quicker and than normal and what blah 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 anyway and it collected <laughs> these artifacts you know i mean i i had literally every trope you could have from fantasy world but the final battle was he had gotten to this one tower and he was performing the ritual and the five dragons that he had grown to an essence full size um but they were they had been artificially matured so i was able to kind of pull them back in power but still be have them be adult chromatic dragons um as well as the giant black dragon that they fought from the very very first adventure ever that kind of started the whole thing they had to ascend the tower and fight through and the, it was the bone stairs that would attack them and all the rooms had different as they would hit the landings had different po points of it and then they had so the giant video climb, game yeah they had the giant climactic battle on the top of it where they had to not only stop the ritual from happening but also fight off all of these dragons that were assisting with the ritual too so it was big and there was lots of fireworks and stuff like that going forward what i would like to see is kind of like exactly what you guys are talking about tony you just said it like a story encapsulated in the great story so it made me think of like our holiday one shots because mm. that's what you have to build you have to build your most epic one shot that you can do because you got to do it in a night you can't have it to be continued on the final battle thing you you, you can't you can lead up but that final thing it kind of probably has to happen in that one night so you have to have those that time down the beats down and be ready to to come out with all the all the big guns all right guys we've been talking for a little while here so why don't we wrap up with some final thoughts what are your final thoughts on high-level campaigns and bringing them to a fun, satisfying conclusion? To have that satisfying conclusion, you have to do leave the lay the groundwork. You have to have those low-level adventures, which are very organic, where they do low-level. I mean, not mundane things like you're not, you know, chasing the rats of the cellar, but you know what? They're taking the the kind of quest you'd expect to see within the appropriate tiers. You're not propelling them. And I love the epic adventures, but if you know if you're fighting a Hydra at level three, it loses the impact <laughs> of when when you're actually supposed to be doing such an activity. And then you bring out, you look for your your, your there's not just an a conclusion; it's really a culmination of all the concluding plot points and story elements that you've laid out through the course of the campaign. Personal ones tying into the interests of the characters, and then the overall plot of that world. Then you bring it in with a, I like what you said, Thorn. no real surprises there. And let, I mean, Darth, you already know Darth Vader's your father at this point. That was revealed, <laughs> you know, in the second movie. And you have that satisfying battle and then give them, a, have them walk away with an ending that leaves them thinking about the next day. Not because it's a crazy plot twist, but, you know, they have this opportunity to walk off on the sunset and maybe just reflect on everything they've done and if there's anything left they'd like to do, you know, just in terms of story. And then absorb them into the greater mythos of your campaign. Well, you, Dave. I think all of that was said uh, wonderfully. Uh, leave everything out on the stage, just like you would leave everything out on the field, right? Uh, you should do that every session, though, because as Tony has said in previous episodes – you never know when your last session is your last session. 
So, unfortunately, you know, always end a session as as close to, you know, if I left it there, it's good because not all of them last forever. But regardless, um, allow it to become part of the fabric of the world and look at the big stories that we talk about a lot. Look at the Lord of the Rings, right? The ending there, how all of these things were tied up, but there was still story to be told after that, you know? What happens in the Undying Lands? What happens with Gondor? Also, the Avengers, Endgame, perfect example. You know, you get to see Cap's final thing. You get to see, but then there's also these additional things. Well, well, now what about Falcon? What about Winter Soldier? What about, the, like, <laughs> the, the end of the campaign is not the end still, because they're part of that world, and that world is continuing unless it has Gatanopla in it and it has exploded like an egg. So, um, but yeah, look at that. Like there's always more. So there's always something else that makes you go, well, what about that? And then that's the next campaign, right? Getting when got an awful hatches. That's when the real story begins. <laughs> so like the level CR 20 Tamagotchi. Oh, there he goes coming up on another world. Hey, Faerun, here, here's, here's got an Hope your gods are up to that. Yeah. We've covered a lot of great ground here and it's really the thing that makes your your epic your epic tier special and especially your sign off special is just that culmination of everything you've been doing. So yeah, there there's an aspect to it that's okay. The players are getting better powers, the monsters are tougher. That's one thing. And you definitely want the big fight in your last session. But there's also gotta be that sense of everything we've done so far has been building up to this. And you can kind of bring it to this nice crescendo at the end there that lets you do really cool things. One thing we didn't hit on is I do think you, for the last couple sessions, you want to open up the gates on the magic items a little bit. Not so much that there's a ton of them, but let the players get the things they've always dreamed about. And don't do it in the last session. Don't do it for the last fight. Do it a little bit heading up mm. to us. So they can play with it a little bit. So, and don't give it out as treasure after the last fight. You know, hey, you're, you're oh retired. My God. Here's the Holy uh. Avenger you always wanted. Don't do that. <laughs> You found a case of Vorpal swords behind the throne. Although I think that is maybe when Tony would think it appropriate to bring out your 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 deck of many things. Yeah, congratulations, you saved the world and then the deck killed you. So sorry, Doctor Jones. <laughs> Here, here's some resets. So I think that's the big thing. Is you want everything to build up. You want to give them the stuff that's going to make it feel cool as you're heading into it. So bring out the artifacts. Bring out the the, the high level weapons. Bring out the crazy stuff you that you build, or maybe the things they've wanted. You know, you're only going to have to deal with it for a couple sessions. So who cares if the stupid weapon they had is going to be super broken? Let them have it, and then throw in some stupid broken monsters that can fight it because you can do that now. It's the end. You know, all that stuff I say about you know keeping things under control early and kind of not going, not breaking your power curve early the whole point of that is so when you get to the higher levels you can break it and it feels cool and the players haven't become jaded to all the super extra duper magic early on you know because this is when you want to bring it out so leading into your session bring out the big stuff bring out the good the good presence bring out the big monsters bring it to this crescendo in the end and just go out with a great epic battle and then don't overlook the denomin you know, that's the part in the story after the climax, when things kind of go back, kind of they, you tell the, the reader what happened afterwards and you kind of let, you bring the party home and let them settle. Great example is in the Lord of the Rings. So, you know, the, the ring into Mount Doom is the climax. The denouement is the hobbits going back to the Shire and finding out Saruman is there and them kicking, Sar you know, them coming together and coming into their own and kicking Saruman out and them restoring order to the Shire and Frodo becoming uh, mayor. 
of the Shire. That is the denouement, that kind of period of, okay, and here's what happened next, and here's how the legend ended, and how the characters who survived lived, you know, kind of how they were okay. Even if they weren't okay, Frodo, for instance, isn't really okay, but he winds up getting to go to the Grey, to the Grey Havens, along with Bilbo and the elves, and he gets a special, give them all their special send-off, so they remember it well, and so you have a nice happy ending to bring in later for the legends because the ending here is going to play a role in how you can bring it in next time you want to use it and use it for good in your other campaigns yeah well guys it's a fun conversation i don't know if we're epic level yet we're, we're certainly playing it wise dms uh <laughs> it's been a good time talking about it though we all we each we're each about the middle of our campaigns it'll be cool when we get to bring these campaigns to their epic conclusions well, it's funny because it'll be with the, uh, with Strahd, it'll be kind of a half halfway there because the whole first half will have been this, and then who knows what happens after that. Same with Storm, but we're building up Storm to that. Yeah, we're building up to that epic final confrontation thing. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm just planning about running around the woods and keep fighting random encounters until we're level 14 and we fight them. You're gonna Final Fantasy this, right? You're gonna keep you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna keep grinding levels until you go in. You there know what's the beauty about that. milestone leveling is it also puts a governor on, so you can kill all oh. the wolves in Barovia and like, okay, cool, yeah, you're level ten. You get nothing for it. You get nothing for all your hard work. <laughs> all right, guys, thanks again. For all of you listening at home, thank you very much for hanging out for another episode of Three Wise DMs. Now, this uh, this this whole episode and several of our last episodes have been in response to audience questions. So if you have any questions, please send them our way. You can send them to threewisedms at gmail.com. You can go to our website, threewisedms.com, and put them in the What's Your Problem field. Or you can talk to us on Facebook and Twitter. We're very active there. And please, if you enjoy what you're listening to, give us that five-star you know, smack that five-star rating in the podcast platform you're listening on. Give us a review. Tell your friends. We've gotten great support from all of our listeners, from all of you. Thank you very much for it. And keep it up. And we'll keep keep growing this and keep adding more episodes and talking about everything we can think of that is worth sharing on role playing, which is hopefully wise. See you next time on Three Wise DMs. <laughs>